Good morning. My name is Steve Thomas, and I'm honored, so honored, to be here and share in uh, your worship. And uh, now I, the highest honor in my life is when I get to deliver a message. And, and my, my greatest hope is that it wouldn't just be my thoughts and my words or my message, but it truly would be, according to the prayer, would be God's. Now, uh, before I go any farther, I, I've got to take a picture here to document that. I mean, Pete, there, there are enough people here that have given up a lot of their life to sit in these pews and... I just need to, you know, people need to know these things, so thank you for the chuckle. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, uh, our worship leader uh, mentioned if you feel like dancing, you can, and my, my thing is if you feel like chortling, chortle away, it's a-okay. You know, there, uh, 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 let me back up, I'm all excited. Um, we're here on behalf of Open Door Libraries, and we love that we get to visit our Open Door Library family. And Jim and Laurie Barnes are the directors of our library here, uh, Crossroads Center. And we love that we get to be a part of their lives, and we just wish we could get over here more often. How many people are not from Prague Original? Uh, just pretty much all of us. Uh, and I'm guessing a little, I, I, we're probably similar in this, in that there is this magnetic draw of beauty in this city. I mean, I would come back even if Jim and Lori weren't here. Probably, I mean, it wouldn't be as fun, but I would do it. And uh, when we come back, we always love that we get to worship with you. Now, on to my message uh, when you consider the whole of human history, there have only been a very few years where someone was not at war with someone else. It's just part of human nature, I suppose. And so today, the scripture that I'd like for us to look at is, I think, always going to be a pertinent concept. It comes from Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your New Testament, you may want to open up your phone to that. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. You know, uh, Paul often in his letters had this habit of saying, and now finally, and then he, there were two more chapters in, in the book, right? That's how I grew up with preachers that were that way. You know, they would say, and finally, and don't put your stuff away because they're not done. 
they'll go on and on. Well, okay. Well, in this particular case, this is one of the few cases, actually, where when Paul says, finally, he truly means finally, because this is the last substantive thing that he, especially in the teaching area, that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. From here on, he's signing off with greetings, but he really does mean finally. And he says, be strong. Now, if that's all that he would have written, this would be really hard cheese for a guy like me. Because I'm getting old, and I don't have the strength that I used to have. I remember a time when I just, you know, if you got tired, you just reached down a little deeper and you press forward. I don't have that anymore. I hit the wall physically faster than I ever have really at any other point in my life. But there used to be this taper off. But not so much. My, my body seems to never say, hey, you know, you might think about taking a break if, if you want to. These days, what it says is, okay, you're done. And I've learned that when it says I'm done, I really am done. So it's a combination of lots of stuff, not the least of which is I'm getting older and that really stinks. But it is what it is. There are a couple of important things I want to point out here about what Paul wrote. First of all, this isn't a command to try harder to be stronger. And sometimes I think it sounds like that. There's, there's way more to it than him saying, hey, quit your whining. Buck up and be strong. Suck it up, buttercup. That, he is, this isn't about physical strength anyway. It's about your spiritual strength. I've known people who were physically feeble, but were spiritually mighty. And I think you probably have too. A little old man named J. Russell Morris comes to my mind when I think about this. J. Russell Morris had been a missionary in China, Tibet, Thailand, Burma for 50 years with his family. And as a result of his work and his sons and grandsons and their families, more than 100,000 of the Li Su tribe in that part of Southeast Asia had come to Christ. And now there are strong churches established there. For 50 years, he had been the papasan of that movement. Uh, when I was young, my wife Debbie and I, she's the one that when you see her and me together, you'll go, oh, she must have... You know, she must be very nearsighted and have the gift of mercy to be hooked up with that guy. She's right back there. Uh, anyway, we had kids, little kids, three daughters. And uh, the church where I served in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was J. Russell Morris's home church. We called him Brother Morris and for short, Brother Mo. He was, he was just a hoot. Um, he was shorter than me, and he always walked stooped over like this. I mean, after 50 years, oh, I didn't tell you this about him. The last year and a couple of months that he was in China, he was in communist Chinese interrogation camp with daily humiliation, solitary confinement, and often with torture. 
I tried, I tried to ha- get him to talk about that because I know that, I mean, he died 20 years ago now, and his, the stories of his life and his faith need to be told. And I begged him to please tell me what it was like. You know, this back in the day of little cassette recorders. It was so heinous that he couldn't even, he couldn't even tell me. He would, uh, I got to be a chauffeur. He, he couldn't drive. We didn't want him driving, so that worked out well. But he couldn't drive. I'd pick him up, and he, when he got in the van, uh, uh, we would have our kids. He loved to go to any kind of church meeting. He loved preachers. He loved the church. And so every time there was a meeting, we would pick him up and take him. And our three daughters were in the van. And every time he got in the van, he'd look back and he'd say, well, whose lovely children are these? Well, Brother Mo, they're the same kids we had last time we came here to pick you up. And, but that's just his way. One time he was in the hospital, <laughs> and I went up to visit him, and he had a stubble of a couple of days' growth of beard. And I said, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, yeah, if I, I, I could sure use a shave. I said, well... Uh, in the States, they give you this disposable razor. I, I guess it's one of those that's so terrible you could never slit your wrist with it type thing. And, and I'm a little skin lotion. I said, I, I could probably make that work. So I lathered him up with the skin lotion. And I began to shave him. I said, I want to be careful. He said, I've faced death a dozen times. You with a razor in your hand doesn't scare me. And he wasn't being, he wasn't exaggerating. He had faced death daily until in answer to his family's prayers, the communists released him. No explanation, no apology. Brother Morris was feeble, but he was mighty. There's a secret to Brother Morris's Strength. And you already know it. It's a secret for us. His strength and ours. It's not just his strength or our strength. He had tapped into what Paul writes about here. He said, uh, Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. So it's not just a matter of how much we can churn up our own strength. It's, it's not even about us being more intentional, intending more to be stronger. It's not about trying harder to be stronger. It's about the Lord's mighty power. Right. If you've been in church for a little while, then you've heard this idea a gazillion times. Be strong in the Lord. What does that look like? Well, it might look... A little different for each one of us, but however it might look in our individual lives, the bottom line is that we don't have to be held hostage by our weaknesses and our limitations. There's a strength beyond ours. In fact, an ultimate strength that exceeds any need that we'll ever have. This isn't a strong person's strength. 
It's not about you reaching down for that last ounce of energy and strength. Uh, It's not about you pushing harder or pulling harder. It's about what God is able and willing to do. This is about the strength of the Lord, the limitless, unmatched power of God, the God who spoke the cosmos into being. Paul doesn't give us any kind of a formula for this, which I think is a little bit frustrating. It would be easier if he said, all right, here's step A, step B, step C. But he doesn't. There's no incantation. There's no magic phrase. There's no special prayer for it. He just says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Now, I'm convinced that to be will always be greater than to do. See, you can do a lot, but the truth is you'll never do more than you can be. Does that make any sense to anybody? You can... uh, Who you be is the lid. It's the ceiling for how much you can do. The bad grammar that I just used doesn't change the truth. Paul doesn't say to work yourself up to a state of godly strength. He just says, be strong. There is do in this, absolutely, but it's not about you working yourself up to do strong things. Okay, the very first do thing was when you asked Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of your life. The do, the beginning do, is to say yes to him on his terms. When you had your sins washed away, you made Jesus your sovereign Lord and Savior. And now, the task, whatever the task that comes your way, starts when you ask God for his power in your life. I think the smartest prayers that have ever been prayed are probably the shortest ones. Like, give me your strength, God. Or its shortened version, help! Sorry, I grew up in Oklahoma. I wonder if sometimes we feel like God gets tired of hearing us call out for help. You know, like he's... He's he- it's not that he doesn't hear our prayers. He's hearing our prayers, and he's thinking, again, snap out of it. Come on. That's not what he does. He totally knows us and understands everything about us because he made us. Well, yeah. There are times when I cry way before I'm really hurt, And by the way, I can squeal like a pig under a gate. But he doesn't hold this against me. When I call out in a desperate prayer for help, he'll never turn a deaf ear. Now, he doesn't... There are often times when he doesn't answer me on my timetable, and he doesn't answer me in the way I thought he ought to, but he never doesn't listen. He never ignores my cry. As nutty as it sounds, 
He's nuts about me. He likes me. I crack him up. And so do you. He is never not working on your behalf. He hears me when I cry out to him. Even <laughs> if it's a panic prayer. But this prayer for God's strength isn't just because I figured out that I'm weak and I, I don't like being weak. I want to be stronger because I'd be a good thing. There's a bigger, much bigger purpose to it. And that's what comes following here. Here's why we need to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. <clears throat> Paul begins in verse 11, Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Here's the memo, folks. This is war. But the enemy isn't flesh and blood. There has been so much written and said about our unseen enemy, the enemy of our souls. And in the United States, I don't know what it's like here, but our political and cultural divide is widening by the day, thanks to Facebook and Twitter primarily. Uh, and there's a lot of teachers that are, you know, they're grabbing onto that, and they've got lots to say about how bad the devil is. So, I, and they use this passage a lot. That's good. But to fully unpack the implication of these two verses would take a whole lot longer than you've got. And besides that, it's above my pay grade. So, um, I'll just say that the point of this is that we are at war with an enemy that is unbelievably powerful who wants to take you and your family out. See, hurting you, doing something to you in some way, is he only does that to serve his greater purpose. See, the Apostle Peter writes that our enemy's ultimate purpose is to devour us. Don't be deceived. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. He has definite li limitations, but within those limitations, he is at work 24-7 to take you out. I'm going to say more about this in a couple of minutes, but the next verse... Paul gives uh, what we need in order to stand against our enemy, the full armor of God. Let's, let's just look at this. First of all, he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And then he says, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God has provided for us <clears throat> excuse me, an armor 
He's designed it for our protection. Now, I'm not going to unpack the whole thing uh, of each of these pieces of armor because, again, that would take a lot of time. But there, this is the one thing I want to point out. All of that armor is defensive except for one piece of equipment, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Now, my experience, and I've been in ministry for located in churches for 45 years, and in the last two years I've been opening a private counseling practice. So 45 years is not enough to say I know everything there is to know. I way don't know everything there is to know. But I've, in my experience, uh, <laughs> there aren't enough Christians who know how to do any serious swordsmanship. And they tell me it's because they just don't have time for it. And that, my friends, no offense, is just plain stupid. I mean, it's like a Marine saying, oh, yeah, I got a great gun. I mean, it's state of the arts. Uh, I mean, it shoots really well. It's sighted in terrific. I, I, I don't have time to mess with it very much, but... I've got it. Are you kidding? Even Gomer Pyle knew better than that. Sorry, if you're not an old American, you may not know who Gomer is, but here's my thing. Get active. Engage with the sword. Learn how to wield it. But, please, don't wield it on other Christians. Anybody else see this happening on their Facebook feed and their Twitter feed? It breaks, I think it breaks God's heart. See, this is not a war against other believers who don't hold the exact beliefs that we do. They're, they're not our enemy. And I see way too much on social media that... People are doing battle with the wrong things against the wrong people. Okay. Back to the armor of God. What's the purpose of the armor of God? You go back to verse 11, and Paul says that it's so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Boy, have there ever been thousands of pages written and published about the devil's schemes. I'll tell you my favorite is a little book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Has anybody ever read The Screwtape Letters? If you have, you're the ones enthusiastically nodding your head. Uh, it's so witty and, oh my goodness, so full of insight. I'll just say, if you're looking for something, I know somebody who has one of those on their shelves and they'd be glad to loan it to you. Anyway, if you haven't read it, you should. There's probably another 10,000 pages of interpreting the thousands of pages that have already been written about Satan and what his schemes are. For me, I think it really can be boiled down to two verses in the New Testament, one that Peter wrote and one that John wrote. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, speaking of the devil, the thief comes only to steal kill, and destroy. 
And then Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, when you put those two things together, you get a really, I think, a very clear picture of why you need God's armor as a defense against the enemy. I'll say it again. He wants to take you out. This isn't spiritual volleyball. This is spiritual war. For our struggle, Paul writes, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, our enemy doesn't have flesh and blood. Flesh and blood enemies are hard enough to fight. Just ask anybody who's been in combat, especially if their enemy is well-armed and wily and highly motivated. When your enemy doesn't have flesh and blood, the battle is even more complicated. Our enemies are rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sounds like something out of a horror movie. It's worse than that. This isn't a fictional story designed to scare the popcorn out of you. This is reality. This is war, my friends. I need to tell you a little bit more about my belief system here. I believe that <laughs> the devil is real. I believe there are actual demons. I believe in a real hell that people will really go to. I believe in an evil and the father of evil. I believe the devil is as real as Jesus. He's not as powerful as Jesus but he's as real every bit. Now, his power is limited. He's not everywhere at the same time. He is not omnipresent. But he has an army of fallen angels in uh, the same way that God has an army of unfallen angels, except Satan's army is smaller. The, the Bible gives us the strong indication that about a third of the angels went with Satan when he fell, when he rebelled against God. In his pride, he decided that he wanted to be God instead of serving God. And ever since then, there's been war. I also believe that Satan can't take what hasn't been given to him. The book of Job gives us a strong indication of that. But he's never not looking for a foothold or a tiny piece of your heart and your mind to get his talons into. He's a master manipulator. He's a master tempter, and he's not afraid to tempt anybody for crying out loud. If he tempted the Son of God, don't think for a minute that he's not going to put the pedal to the metal to tempt you and me. He is the ruler of this dark world presently for reasons that I can't explain. I don't fully understand God has given him dominion in this world. He is never not at work, and his mission hasn't changed from the beginning of time. He wants, I'm going to say this a lot more, he wants to take you out. 
Now, making you miserable is not his objective. Taking you out is. Making you miserable may be part of his plan, but it's not his ultimate goal. He wants your soul. Don't misunderstand me. I don't see the devil in every shadow or demons in every noise in the night. But I, I have to say, please don't misunderstand this. I believe the devil is still at work. And his demons are as active today as they've ever been. His objective has not changed. I'm going to say it again. He wants to take you out. When he did mortal combat with Jesus on the cross, three days later, Jesus won when he rose from the tomb. So don't let anybody lead you astray into believing that you've got to be afraid of the devil. That's not what this is about. What this is about is just realize the war is on and you cannot be a conscientious objector. Like it or not, you're in this war and your enemy is serious and powerful and motivated. If Satan and his demons weren't real or if they weren't active, we wouldn't need armor. But they are. And if we don't armor up, we're at their mercy. This is why Paul wrote, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Do you notice, uh, Paul didn't say, put on the armor of God, so that if you need it, you'll have it. He didn't say if. He said when. The point to me is clear. There is a real war going on, and you're in it whether you want to be in it or not. Nobody, nobody gets to be a conscious, conscientious objector. You don't get to decide if you're going to be in this war. If you're alive, you're in it. And when you said yes to Jesus, you became the devil's enemy. I too often catch myself whining to God, come on, God, does everything have to be so hard? Well, the answer is generally yes. Most everything's going to be hard. You live in a fallen world. That's pretty much his message to Adam and Eve after they sinned. Life's going to be hard from here on out. Granted, sometimes it's harder than it has to be. Have you ever seen that Facebook meme where it says, um, everything happens for a reason? Sometimes that reason is that you're stupid and you make bad decisions. <laughs> oh, this is true. But no matter what, life is going to be hard. Yeah, you can make it harder than it needs to be by making stupid decisions, but life is going to be hard because we have an enemy. And think about this. When's the best time to put your armor on? Well, before the battle begins. If you wait until the bullets start to fly to put on your armor, you're toast. 
The soldiers don't carry their Kevlar into the battle zone with them so that they can get to it if they need to. They put it on way back in the safe zone, and in some cases, they sleep with it on it. One last thing about the armor of God here. Did you notice that all of this armor is about protecting your front, not your back? Now, I'm told that uh, historians teach that in Paul's day, the Roman army, the Roman legion, had armor just like this. And um, it only had protection for the front. And here's the reason. Because the armor for, was for facing the enemy, not from, for running from them. Okay, what's, what does all this mean for us? What are we going to do about this? All this stuff that I've been talking about. All right, let's, uh, uh, I'm almost able to say finally. Well, I'll say it the way my dad, I grew up a preacher's kid. I'll use my dad's term, finally. Don't put anything away. Let's start here. My friends, this is war. This is not some unfortunate action. This isn't just a temporary hard time that we're going to have to figure out how to get through. It's war. Oh, and there's this. We're not victims. You're not an innocent bystander. You're not collateral damage. You're a soldier. So take a gulp and begin working this fact into your interpretation of life. Orient yourself around the fact that we're soldiers. Life's going to be hard. War's hard. A famous American general in our Civil War, General Sherman, said, War's hell. It is. And we're in it. So don't be surprised when life is hard and you feel like you're being ambushed. That's how war works. Okay. Our enemy is not lobbing Nerf bullets and firing blanks. He is out to destroy us. He wants to take us out. How many times have I said that? If we're casual about this thing, we, all we're doing is letting him do to us and with us what he most wants. But there's another very important thing here. Our enemy is powerful and wily, but our commander, our Lord and leader, is stronger. Satan often struts his stuff as though he was the biggest dog on the block, but he is not. That's just swagger. He's not even close. Our God is. And he's not occupied someplace else. He's not watching the World Cup or dancing with the stars and missing out on what's happening in your life and my life day by day. He, he's right here with us. He made a promise in Hebrews 13.5 
that would be worth memorizing for every soldier. Here's what it says. I will never leave you or forsake you. He's not back at the command center. He's right here. And that applies to the battles and the war that we're in. Our mission from our commander is to stand firm. That's in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. I love how J.B. Phillips uh, paraphrased this. He said, even when you have fought to a standstill, you may still stand your ground. All right. So here's my suggestion and my challenge to you today. Take Ephesians 6, 14 through 17, the armor of God passage that we've just been hacking our way through, and copy it onto a big post-it note. Copy it word for word. Um, if you, however you want to do it, by hand, by your computer, whatever. Then you need to put that where you'll see it early every day in your day. And for a lot of people, that's going to be, you know, put it on the bathroom mirror. Uh, oh, another way might be put it right next to, don't put it over your computer screen. That would be, you know, that'd create problems. But put it, you know, near your computer screen. We're going to see it all, all day. Um, I have friends that they'll put it on, you know, they'll put it on the bottom of the rear view mirror in their car. But the, here's the point. Be strategic. Remind yourself that God has made provision for you in this war and that there is an armor. And so put it on. And then when you see these verses, pray a simple prayer. God, I want to be strong in your mighty power. I put my trust in you for your mighty power today so that after I've done everything, I'll stand. Join me in that prayer. Our Father, we want to be strong in your mighty power. And in this moment, we put our trust in you for your mighty power for today. So that after we've done everything, we'll stand. We trust you for this and for your grace. And pray this in your mighty name. Amen.